Good morning, everyone. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and I will be reading verses 43, excuse me, yes, verses 43 through 54. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. Hear the word of God. Now, after two days, he departed from there and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Then, when he was coming into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. So, they also went unto, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made water into wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus came into Judea of Galilee, he went to Jesus and looked for him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down, or my son will die. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he had begun to amend. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole house. This again is the second miracle that Jesus did when he, was, when he went into Cana of Galilee. Let's pray briefly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the grace of Christ as it is displayed to us in these verses and we ask that you would be here by your Spirit, Lord, and to enable us, your people, not only to understand the Word, but help me to preach the Word. And may we apply these things, Lord, to ourselves, that we might behold the glory of Christ in this passage. In His name we pray. Amen. There are many... Uh, places, many passages, uh, many historical events in the Bible that we come across, and we have a tendency just to read over these portions of Scripture. They, they become so common to us that there is a sense that they, they don't have the effect they ought to have on our minds and on our hearts. There, there is a, a familiarity with the Scriptures that breeds a, a, a sort of contempt 
Of course, God's people will never have contempt upon God's word, not intentionally, but we can because the, this, the stories in the Bible become so common to us that they don't have the effect that they ought to have. And this story here, this his, well, of course I use the word story, but uh, it, it's a historical event, actually happened. This story is one of those stories in the Bible that really it highlights more, more than anything else. The, the main point here is the grace of Christ. First, in verses 43 through 45, we see the grace of Christ as it is displayed to the Galileans. Then we see the grace of Christ displayed in his mercy towards this nobleman. And then we see the grace of Christ as it increases faith, causes faith in the nobleman and in his family. And there is great application uh, to us from these verses. But first note, we've been working through the Gospel of John slowly. We just uh, finished that section where Jesus speaks with the Samaritan woman and then the Samaritans are converted. So look back with me briefly at verse 41. Uh, we'll look at verse 40, chapter 4, verse 40. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said to us, for we have heard him ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Samaritans, as they hear the preaching of Christ, as they hear his gracious words, they are convinced that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior. They accepted the, what, what many call just the naked Word of God. The Word of God itself, preached by Christ to them, was sufficient for them to believe that He was the Messiah and the Savior. They didn't need anything else. They didn't need signs and wonders. They didn't need healings and miracles. The Word of God was sufficient. And as Jesus now returns to his, uh, some translations say, his hometown, really the idea is more of his, his, his country, where he is from, where he was raised. As he returns, there's a specific reason. Look at verse 43. Now after two days, he departed from there. So he's there two days. Now he leaves the Samaritans. Remember the Samaritans were... They were Jews who had uh, uh, intermarried with other races, races that were brought in during the Babylonian captivity. They intermingled, but that wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't their intermingling. The issue was that they intermingled false religion with true religion. And, and the Jews had a disdain for them but not Jesus. 
Jesus go, he preaches the gospel, and a whole city is saved. Yet the Galileans, from whom the Christ would arise, from the Jewish people themselves, they had a disdain for Christ. Look at the contrast here. So he comes into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. What is why so why does he go into Galilee? Why does he go into his own country? Because a prophet has no honor in his own country. What, a, what an interesting way to put it. If, if, if you just dwell upon that, you, you would think, well, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not going to receive honor, if, if I'm going to go to a people to proclaim the truth of the gospel, and I'm not going to be honored, I, I, I'm not going to receive the respect that a prophet deserves, well, then I won't go to this people. We don't think the way Christ does, though. And here, you see the grace of Christ. Christ came into the world to seek and save the lost. And he knew that the Galileans, there was a disdain for him among them. Yet because of his grace and because of his desire for men to be saved, even though he knew they would reject him, he still comes to them. But why the disdain? Why the disdain? This, this uh, saying that John here records in verse 4, look at it again, uh, excuse me, in chapter 4, verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. This is repeated in all four Gospels. And the contexts help shed light on the statement here. Look first at Mark 6. Turn to Mark 6. It's repeated in Matthew and in Luke, but we'll look at Mark 6 and Luke 4. Look at Mark chapter 6 first. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in a synagogue, and he is preaching the word of God in his hometown. So look at verse 2. Mark 6, 2. And when the Sabbath day had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing were astonished, saying, From where has this man gotten these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? You, you, that sounds like they are impressed and are admiring him but that's not it the, these are actually words of contempt look at the next verse is not this the carpenter's son how is he 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 must be plagiarizing his speeches these can't be his words it's the carpenter's kid we know him He's the son of Mary, the brother of James and, and Joseph and Judah and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, 
A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Their contempt for Jesus had to do with their familiarity with him. You see, they knew him. They, they knew the boy. They saw the boy grow into a man. And they saw the man now do wonderful works. Not only did they see him do wonderful works, but they heard magnificent words. So there were works of wonder and words of wonder that come from Christ. Yet because of their familiarity with him, they refuse to believe that he's the Messiah. They refuse to believe in him. Now one more place in Luke. So, so the reason why Jesus takes up this proverb that was probably common then, that a prophet is not accepted in his own hometown, is because he knew the people's attitude towards him. They had contempt for him. But that contempt did not keep him from coming to them to preach and to teach again. Jesus never throws up his hands and says, I won't preach the gospel there. Now, go to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is, of course, uh, preaching again, and he's healing, and in verse 22, look at verse 21, and he began to say unto them, this day this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What scripture? Uh, Isaiah. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, where God would come and he would heal the brokenhearted. He would preach deliverance to the captives. The blind would recover their sight and there would be liberty. This would be the acceptable year of the Lord. And Christ says to them, now this scripture is fulfilled. Verse 22, and all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in the, your own country. We, we heard that you've done miracles elsewhere. Do them here. Let's... let's Let's see your wonders. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows, and, and here this has specific application. This, this, uh, this passage has specific application to what is happening in John 4. Because now what Jesus is going to do, he's going to bring up two instances where prophets did not bless the people of God, but bless foreigners because of the unbelief of the people of God. Look at the two instances. I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them 
was Elijah sent, except unto Seraphat, a city of Sidon, unto a widow. God did not bring relief. He, he didn't do works of wonder. Next. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They couldn't take the rebuke. Why? Well, it was coming from the carpenter's son. And what Jesus was doing was he was putting his finger on the issue. You people come to me. You come to hear my word, not because you believe my word, but because of the miracles. What you want is a show. You see, there is a difference between believing God and believing in God. They had a belief in God, that God could do magnificent, wonderful works. But they didn't believe Him. It was not a belief that was to the saving of their soul. And many people experience this even today. Look, the reason why the prosperity preachers on the television are mega, super wealthy is because people want signs and wonders. Now, they're not performing signs and wonders, but people want them. They want to experience them. They, they want to be involved in the miraculous. So they, they will give their money to these uh, false prophets so that they might experience something of the magnificent and the miraculous. And many people come to Jesus because of what He can do for them. How can He fix me and my problems and not because of who He is? There is a contempt for Christ and for the work of Christ and for the words of Christ. We want to see him do something. So we come to him. That this is all wrong. That this is all wrong. Now this kind of contempt that they had for him had nothing to do with a character deflect or, or some kind of flaw in Jesus. He was sinless. He could ask them. Jesus could say, which one of you can convict me of sin? Nobody could. And this kind of contempt even happens... Uh, among us you know, people will have contempt for you if you if you are a Christian and you stand upon biblical convictions people will have contempt for you people at work will have contempt for you they won't like you you know they uh, they'll have names for you preacher boy uh, you know prayer warrior mockingly they'll call you or whatever you know or you walk in a room and and they're 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 you know they're taking they're telling crude jokes or using profanity and they make believe that they're showing you some kind of respect by stopping but really it's a form of mockery you know they're kind of mocking you um, 
that kind of contempt. It even happens in Christian homes where children will refuse to receive the word of their parents because of their familiarity with their parents. Now with Christ, of course, um, the perfection of his nature and the fact that no man could, could convict him of sin was one of the reasons why they held him in contempt. For us with our children, we have to be honest, it has to do at times with our own inconsistencies with the fact that we are not sinless. And because we're not sinless, when we reproof and rebuke them, they, they may tend to hold us in contempt because they see those imperfections. Our family members and our neighbors, and you know maybe just the people in this general area, they will feel the same way. They will have some form of contempt for you because you are a Christian. And what I would say is that we have to, to have, in those instances, the same attitude that Christ had. Where grace compelled him to continue to speak the words of God to these people. Knowing that the only reason why they came to him was because they wanted to see miracles. They wanted something from him. Now look at verse 45. So he says, John writes, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Then, when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him. That may seem contrary. So he comes into Galilee, Jesus, Jesus made the statement, a prophet is not received in his own country. He comes into his country and the Galileans, they receive him. But listen to why they received him. Listen to why they received him. John tells us. Having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went into the feast. Why did they come? Because they saw the miracles. That's why they came. They didn't come because of his words. They didn't come because they believed he was the Messiah. They came because he was the wonder boy. There, there he is. You know? There, there, there's the town magician. This is, this is not genuine reception of Christ. This is a false reception of Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. This is the event that, uh, or this is the, uh, John is referring to this event that uh, happens in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. This is not true faith though. Look at verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Literally, uh, it's Jesus did not believe them. Because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. Jesus knew their heart. He knew the reason why they were coming to him. Not, was be not because of who he was. No, they came because of the signs and the wonders. You see, signs and wonders don't save. Signs and wonders 
don't save anyone. They don't impart life. Believing that Jesus can do miracles doesn't save you. Believing the words of Christ is what saves. What does Jesus say? I believe it's in John chapter 7. He says, These words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. It is the words of Christ that impart life. That's in John 15, 18. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And Nicodemus, um, here, here's more evidence. So you have the statement of Jesus, but as we continue, I'm, I'm back in John uh, 2.25 and I'm going to go into chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. And he believed that Christ was working miracles and he was working them in the name of God. But what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. You, you, you don't really believe. You need the, the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says to Nicodemus, you don't really believe in me. You must become a Christian. You must be born again. So these people that came to Jesus, they didn't believe in him. They believed that he could work wonders, but that is not the same as believing in Christ to the salvation of your soul. That is not the same. There's one other place where this is uh, evidently clear. It's in John chapter 7. Look at John chapter 7. And here, this, this, uh, this really ought to take us um, kind of like a, this is a punch to the stomach this verse that I'm that I'm going to read or these few verses that I'm going to read to you look at verse 3 his brothers therefore said to him so the brothers of Jesus depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may see the works that you do they believed that he could do works these were his brothers for there is no man that does anything in secret and he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Right? Go, go perform your magic, Jesus. Why did they say that? Look at verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. They, they didn't believe him. They believed that he could do the works. They believed that he could do them openly. They saw him do the works. Not, they lived with him. And more than anyone else had seen the moral perfection of his life. You know, in, in a, a Jewish homes were not like our homes. It's, it's not like everybody had their own bedroom. There was a, generally a common area and a shared room where everybody would sleep in. Generally, this is how a house was built. Now, you think of Jesus, right? And uh, here, 
this is this is to assist you in understanding how repulsive a statement like this is that this kind of mocking would be so you could think of Jesus as a 16 year old boy praying to God in his home and his brothers and sisters they are hearing the prayers of the Son of God you think of the impact that that would have had on them well you can see it here it actually hardened their hearts towards him and it caused them to have contempt for him you see uh, true godliness I'm, I'm not talking about an artificial holiness you know where uh, you speak in King James English and uh, you know um, but true godliness true and genuine love for God causes unbelievers to have disdain for you and his brothers did not they didn't believe in him even though they knew he could do these works yet yet these two uh, negative statements that we have here a prophet is not honored in his own house and this false reception magnifies the grace of Christ because Christ knew all men and he knew that this was their attitude yet what does he do he goes into Galilee anyways he goes back there he goes back there to enforce the particular truth that you must believe my words. You must believe my words. It's the truth that Christ proclaims that must be believed. The miracles, what, what, what they do is that they point to who Christ is. They show us that there is something special about Christ. They do have a significance. It's not that they are worthless. Not at all. They do have a genuine purpose. But the purpose is to draw us closer to Christ. To give an audience for those who do not believe. Look at John 5, 35. Just one page over, John 5.35. Jesus says it himself. Uh, excuse me. John. I have the wrong reference. Uh, let's see. Well, Jesus speaking to the people, he, he makes his point. He says, if you don't believe me, Believe the works that I am doing, for they testify of me. You see, the, 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 the purpose of the works is that they bear testimony to the person. It's not the works in and of themselves that ought to be believed in, but the person who is doing them and what they indicate. They indicate that he is the Son of God, and therefore we must entrust ourselves to him. So he comes into Galilee and he continues to minister to these people. You see the grace of Christ. Now, beginning at verse 46, now we have a nobleman comes and we see the grace of Christ displayed to this man in this that Christ heals this man's son. 
So you see the grace of Christ dis displayed towards this man and showing grace and compassion. Look at verse, verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made water, wine. And there was a certain nobleman, uh, literally a courtier, someone who worked in the court of Herod. This man worked directly for the king. And he hears word that Jesus is back in this region and he travels from Capernaum 15 miles to plead with Christ that he would save his son. Now, uh, there's nothing wrong with what this man is with what this man is doing. Any any one of us here today, if our child, if someone we loved, and here the word that's used for child is a little child. So it's not he's not referring to an adult. This is a little child, and the the father notes that the child has a fever, and um, he comes to Christ because he knows that Christ could. Can, can heal his son. There's no uh, evil in doing this. We would do it today. If we heard of a doctor that maybe could cure some disease that a loved one of ours had, we would take them to the doctor, and there, there'd be no sin in that. So the man coming to Christ this way, it's not sinful. He's, he's got the right motive. He may not know who Christ fully is, but he knows that Christ can heal. So he comes to Christ. And I, I would tell you that even, even today this truth stands. That if we have great needs, the person that we ought to go to is the Lord Jesus Christ. He still intercedes for us. He, even now, he intercedes for us before the Father. And that should be our great disposition. Our, our great disposition should not be, let me figure this out myself, but we should come with all of our prayers, all of our needs, all of our petitions, all of our burdens, and we should lay them upon the Savior and let Him know of all of our needs. He is able and willing to help us, just how, in the same way that He helped this man. When He heard that Jesus came to Galilee, I'm reading verse 47, into, uh, uh, out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The man knows that Jesus can heal his son, but he does not truly understand the full scope of Christ's power. He, he thinks, well, come and heal him. You have to be before him. Maybe you've got to put his hands on. You've got to put your hands on the boy. Maybe there's got to be some kind of a special prayer that you have to offer. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, come down and do it. Uh, now look at verse 48. Let me read the verse to you. Then Jesus said to him, Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, here's, here's the deficiency in most of our translations. It says you, and this is not singular. This is how we would read this in the South, right? So this is a, a Southern translation of this verse. Jesus said to him, except y'all see signs and wonders, y'all won't believe because it's plural. Jesus is not only addressing the man himself. In the King, if you have a King James Version, you, you will see that it says ye. Because it's plural. 
the Greek there is, is a reference to the crowds. So the Galileans were around Jesus. This man comes and they, the, the Galileans are probably thinking, well, make a way, make a way. Jesus, you know, Jesus is going to heal this guy's son. We want to see the magic. So go talk to him. Yeah. And, and we'll walk the 15 miles down to Capernaum so that we could see more miracles because that's what we want. And here you see the wisdom of Christ. He is so wise, so gracious, and so wise. In this statement that he makes to them, and we see two things here. We have a rebuke. This is meant to be a rebuke. And I think it's meant to be, in part, a rebuke to the man, but it's more than anything a rebuke to all of the people because it's in the plural. He says, all of you. Um, we, uh, we have a tendency that when, to, when we're rebuked, when we're corrected, when we believe something wrong or when we act in a way that is not according to godliness, if a rebuke comes, we, are, we push back. We, we don't want to be corrected. But Jesus understands, and we need to grow in our understanding of this, is that we're not perfect. We, we are flawed. Not only are we, that's kind of clean, right? That's a clean way of saying it. We're not perfect. We're sinners. We sin with our thoughts. We sin, we sin with our emotions. We sin with our deeds and we sin with our words. We sin in how we think about God. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus is providing a corrective here. He's rebuking them. And this is all of grace. Because he doesn't want them to continue in this faulty thinking. He wants to wake them up. So he offers this rebuke. And there's also something else, I think. Jesus is attempting in this rebuke to induce faith. It's not just a rebuke for a rebuke's sake, for a rebuke's sake. You know, it's not just that Jesus liked to correct people. That's not what this is about. Jesus wanted them to believe. And the rebuke is an attempt to wake them up. That they might say, wait a minute, what's, um, what's going on here? Let us think rightly about him. And not just seek for works of wonders. But look to him for the grace that can save us. You see the earnest desire of the man in verse 49, though. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down, lest my little boy die. The, uh, this is very similar to uh, his interaction with the woman, where the woman at Samaria, where Jesus is rebuking her, and she asks the question about worship. It almost, that rebuke to her, drew, uh, something sparked in her mind, and she said, I'm speaking to a prophet. And here, this is very similar. Because what the man does, when Jesus rebukes the man, the man doesn't turn back. Remember, this is a nobleman. And Jesus is, yes, he's a rabbi, but he's a carpenter's son. He's in an area where everybody knows him. This nobleman could have commanded Jesus. He could have got some some guards and said come come you know some 
officials, some uh, soldiers, come grab this man and bring him down to Capernaum by force that he may heal my son. But what the man does is he pleads with Christ. He pleads, heal my son. This is a persistence. This is the kind of persistence that we should have in our prayers to God. And this earnest desire for a, for, for a fulfilling of them because we have confidence that God can do it. So what does Jesus do? Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word. The man was confident in the word. Now, again, here you see more of this, this gracious wisdom of Christ. Because he performs the miracle, yet he doesn't allow the Galileans to see it. And Jesus is basically saying, um, I'm not going to be a magician for you. That's not why I've come. I've come to be the Savior. I've come to be your Lord and your King. And yes, I can heal the sick. I can raise the dead. And He will one day raise all the dead. Some to eternal life and some to judgment. But I'm not going to play these games. He grants the man's request and he leaves the Galilean's stomach empty for miracles. I'm not, I'm not going to feed that anymore. And what John points out here, this is, this is uh, emphatic. The man believed the word. That's exactly what the Samaritans say in verse 41. And there's a connection. And many more believed because of his own word, because of the word of Christ. You see, it's not miracles. It's not the working of signs and wonders that brings faith. It's the word of God that breathes life. It gives life. The Spirit uses the word of God to impart life, to convert sinners, and to build up Christians. The same word of Christ is available to us today. It's right here. This is the word of Christ. And this same word imparts life today. It converts and it sanctifies it converts and it conforms it continues to do this even to this day jesus jesus did not show them the sign they wanted signs and wonders and if you go back to verse 48 this is exactly what jesus says he says you want to see signs and wonders i'm not going to show them to you and that terminology signs and wonders that's used in the old testament uh and it it's a semi-technical way of describing God's deliverance of the Jewish people from the land of Egypt and then all of the subsequent deliverances. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 8, it's used there to describe the way that God delivered the Jewish people. And when Jesus brings this up, what Jesus may be indicating is that you people have a long history of desiring 
magnificent and marvelous works and actually being recipients and receiving magnificent and wonderful works, yet you persist in unbelief. You continue not to believe me. If there is a people on this planet that ought to believe in Jesus, it's the Jewish people. Because they have been the recipients of magnificent grace. See, works, signs, and wonders. Paul even says it in 1 Corinthians. Paul says that signs and wonders are for unbelievers. That's what he says. He literally says that. Why? Because what it does for the unbeliever is it reveals... Wait a minute. There's, there's something more to this person. And particularly, of course, the signs and wonders I'm referring to are the signs and wonders Christ performed. So if an unbeliever were to say to me today, well, do some miracle and I'll believe that God is true. I'll hand him a Bible and say, here, you could read hundreds of them. They're recorded right here. Jesus didn't do signs and wonders in some corner, hidden. There were hundreds and hundreds of witnesses to the things that Jesus did. John says that he, and, and John chapter 20, he says, Jesus did so many signs and wonders that if I started to write them down, I would never stop. I heard one pastor put it this way, is when Jesus began his ministry for three years, he drove all forms of diseases out of the land of Israel. I mean, everybody was getting healed. Again, um, and many didn't believe. Right? So you see the grace of Christ in this. Jesus says to the man, verse 50, Go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Faith in the naked word of God. That's it. He believed the word of Christ. Verse 51 now. Now, now what we'll see is that this, this kind of grace, right, this special grace that Christ bestowed upon this man in healing his son, the miracles have a purpose. They are to confirm who Christ is. And the man gets it. He understands. So look at what happens. And as he was going down, his servant met him. So the boy is healed, and the, the, the servants knew, of course, that their master was going up himself to speak to Jesus. And when the boy starts feeling better, they leave. Uh, I'm not indicating that, I don't, I'm not guessing that they knew Jesus healed the boy, but the boy's better, so they're going to communicate to their master, and they find him coming home as they're going up. And they met him. And they said, your boy lives. This is the same thing Jesus said. Thy son lives. And this is what they said. Thy son lives. Your little boy is alive. He's well. And he inquired of them the hour when he began to amend. Here, th this, uh, this, is, um, this inquisitiveness is just a clear indication that the man believed. Because if the man had no faith in what Christ said, who cares about the hour? Okay, what, what, what's the big deal about the hour? No, he is asking because he believed what Jesus said to him. 
He believed the word. He trusted the word of God. He had confidence in God's word. So he's asking, when exactly? And exactly when Jesus said, your son shall live. Verse 53. So the father knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, thy son lives. And himself believed and his whole house. The, the, this grace of Christ is intended to increase faith and strengthen faith. When, when we come to these passages in the Bible where Christ does these wonderful works, he feeds people, right? he raises the dead, he heals the sick, he restores sight to the blind. When we come to those places in Scripture, what those things are intended to do for the believer is to increase our faith in Christ. It's to cause our confidence to grow in Him so that when we come to the Scriptures, we obey it and we believe it. These things are meant to be uh, confirmations. They, they validate the person of the Savior, who He really is. The works that I do, Jesus says, they testify of me. They give a testimony of who Christ is. And they're intended to increase our faith in His Word and give us confidence that the things that we believe in, they're not fiction. These things are absolutely true. And again, of course, what these miracles do is they give us a picture of the future. Because God promises His people that there will come a time when there will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be the home of righteousness. Where, where there will be no more sin and curse in this world. There will no longer be divisions among people. There will no longer be sickness. There will no longer be disease. There is coming a time when God will, not only will He transform us and give us glorified bodies, he, he, will, he will heal us fully and completely at the coming of His Son. And He will remake this world. He'll make it suitable for glorified bodies to play and to sing and to fellowship and to worship. And when Jesus performs these miracles in the gospel, what these miracles are intended to do is to increase our hope in that coming day. So that as our bodies, as, Roman, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we groan, right? Our, our physical bodies, we're, we're, we're dying. We, we are getting old. Some of us faster than others, right? And, and we have sicknesses. We're, we're ill, some have chronic pain and, and chronic diseases, or some are just in the winter of their life and, and just nothing is working right. Hips are stiff and knees are uh, weak. Eyes fail, ears stop working, hearts stop 
pumping blood. All of these things are coming upon us. And that is the groaning of the body for relief. And when we see these miracles, we can have confidence that, oh, that relief is coming. I will have that relief. It won't be temporary. It will be eternal. And you may, you may pass before Christ comes. You may die, and then you, you will go. Your spirit will go to be with our Heavenly Father, anticipating, even in heaven, the day when the earth is renewed and we receive resurrection bodies. And there is no more sin, and there is no more pain, and there are no more tears. This again, verse 54, is the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea of Galilee. Uh, John is piling on miracle upon miracle here. And this uh, sub-theme, right, is a little theme that goes through this entire um, gospel, is that Christ, and it, and it ties perfectly with this context here, is that Christ performs these wonders by just His Word. How does He turn the water into wine? By a word. How does He heal this man's son? By His Word. How does He convert people? By His Word. How does He build up His people? By His Word. And when He comes, it will be by His sovereign Word that the dead will rise. What does He say? He says, there's coming a time when the men, they, when people, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man and they will rise from the dead. Some to eternal life, some to destruction. And if you want to rise to eternal life, simply what you have to do is believe in the Word of Christ. I plead with you today that you would see the grace of Christ as it is revealed in His Word and that you would believe in Him, that you would confidently trust in Him alone for salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your gracious words. We thank You for the power of Your Spirit that works with the Word to impart life and to build up Your people. Help us, Lord, not to have disdain for Your Word, but may we come to your word often and regularly and be in awe and marvel at your grace towards us. And may that cause us, Lord, to be gracious towards others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.